listening to Nerds on Film with Roxy Noberry, Sean Moriarty, Gina Giovanetti, and Brian Moriarty. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a lollipop? Uh, the world may never know. Well done. Yes, I know these code words. <laughs> that commercial was on for like forever. It was on oh, for yeah. like 40 years longer oh, yeah. than it needed to be. And then I remember, do you remember when they tried redoing it too? It was like the computer generated one where it was like the two like mega monsters. Yeah, film. that was, yeah, that one was weird. And then, no, it's just like, no, what happened to the one with the, the owl and like the kid with the weirdly defined booty? <laughs> yeah, the owl. And I love, I, I always love the turtle. I never made it without biting. Ask Mr. Owl. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Owl. (laughs) It's like, it's like that one, that commercial, the, uh, Cadbury eggs one with the, the bunny that's been on. Also the, the Halloween Reese's one where it's the, the jack-o'-lantern Reese's face laughing. Right. I always loved the auditions where it was the different animals trying to audition. Yeah. The the Cadbury cream bunny. Yeah. I hate Cadbury cream eggs though. Yeah. They make me pukey. Hmm. I don't, I don't need to bite. Well, they don't like you either. Um, excuse me. This isn't about me. No, that's cool. I don't need to bite into a chocolate egg and see what looks like sugar Why? jizz inside. Why are we <laughs> even talking about this? It is no- October. Easter is not for another six months. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> you got to make this Catholic again. Jesus. Haps Weaster. Oh, Catholics. Um. Isn't that ironic that the most Christian holiday of the year is named after the pagan goddess of fertility? Oh, we know. Yes. Thank you, American gods. Yeah. As, uh, as uh, like, general knowledge, but yes. <laughs> but, yes. But, yeah, you know. Oh, well, Christ- man. Christmas and Easter both are, like, superimposed over Yule and Ostara, but... Yeah. We're, we're not we're not talking about those today. We're talking about some Halloween goodness. Which, Whoa. by the way, yes. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nerds on Film. <laughs> 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 oh my god! Oh my that god. sounded like okay. Winnie the Pooh. Oh no, it sounded like horror from the Page Master. It like a possessed. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. I loved horror from the page master. Page master. Um, I'm Brian Moriarty. <laughs> or the page master. <laughs> I'm Gina Giovanetti. And I'm Roxy Noberry. And that is by far the shortest cold open we've ever had. We're going to get down to it. Um, Honest to goodness, we guys, are. Guys, we love Halloween. We oh, love, we love, 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 love it. So yes. All 31 days of it, y'all. In fact, so we good. love it so much. That I did it early this year because I did Disneyland's Mickey's Halloween party, which I alluded to I'm last so time. How was it, Brian? So it's fun. It's definitely Halloween in the in the lighter sense. It's not like if you were to go to Knott's Scary Farm or to California's Great America and like where it's like the, the, the haunted mazes or anything like that. No. Um, like the Winchester Mystery House. What is interesting oh, yes. is this is the first year where Disneyland and Disney California Adventure both did Halloween theming. Oh, shit. Oh, that's really fun. Yeah. So their Halloween theming is more heavily in Cars Land in Ooh. California Adventure. Oh, yeah. They dress up all the cars. Yeah. Aww. So you actually, you have a mater who's walking around like a vampire. And my joke was, <laughs> how did he become a vampire? And I think we both agreed that his fuel was all siphoned. Um, <laughs> that's um, hilarious. <laughs> so... Um, so there's in cute little thing. It's all very cute Halloween, not scary Halloween. Yeah, of course. But what's really cool is so there's a Halloween parade that happens, and ten minutes before the parade, they do the march of the headless horseman <gasps> down Main Street, and they do the whole abbreviated story oh my God. of 
Sleepy Hollow with Ichabod Crane walking very nervously, and then the Headless Horseman is behind him. It is amazing. I want this Dude, in my life. I'll never You'll forget. You'll want this even more. In the little circle area of California Adventure, where there's usually nothing there, there is a statue <gasps> of the Headless Horseman, <gasps> and the horse at nighttime, its eyes glow, and it breathes fucking fog. Oh my god. It's amazing. I want this that in my life. Cool. That's it really was cool. so good. And they, they got, like, I'm pretty sure they, like, licensed Paramount for Danny Elfman's Sleepy Hollow score because I'm pretty sure it's playing down one of the street in Dude, oh, that's in like Disney slightly Colorado. terrifying and slightly and mostly entertaining. Oh, yes. That's fantastic. I want, I want this in my life. It Sleepy Hollow so... gave me so many nightmares as a kid. Um, <laughs> so other than that, oh, so there's a, there's in the parade, there's a bit where you see Jack and Sally. Oh. Now, Jack is an interesting one because Sally is just a girl who has like her face painted with like to look like the sewn up doll, right? Yeah. Jack is the only Disney character I know who is a hybrid face and covered character. Yeah, they. He's got a mask that goes all the way up to his cheekbones, Mm -hmm. and then below the cheekbones, it's just makeup with and his regular jawline. Yeah, so he kind of looks. And the thing is, they they always cast a skinny guy, so his face isn't quite round. Yeah. So he looks more like a UFO alien <laughs> in that sense. He um, looks more like a which, like in its own X-Files. way, is creepy. Yeah. But yeah, it's cool. Like he has, a, he does the over articulated like speech, just like the oh, the uh, claymation version. Mm. So it it was a lot of fun. Um, there is a fun little thing where you can trick or treat. There's little like zones Aww, where you can stop and get that's candy. Awesome. Um, the most the big reason why you want to do it and fork over the extra hundred bucks yeah. is that um you get a wristband and so that you know that's how they know not to kick you out of the park um and <laughs> like wait times on rides are super short i will say the jungle cruise at night is amazing dude i did jungle cruise at night for the first time when i went with my boyfriend in july and apparently his family, they would always do that last, whereas my family, we would always go to the left, and that would be the first one we hit. Those hosts are on point at night. Dude, yeah, they, they definitely, like, then they, they don't just do the puns. They definitely do, like, a little stand-up routine, and it's yeah. fantastic. Mm. It, is, it is the funniest, it was hands down the funniest cruise I've ever been on. I secretly, like, my, my dream job is now to be a Jungle Cruise skipper. Because <laughs> uh, that That's would great. be amazing. Um, Disney, if you're listening. Uh, you're not. You're not. I'm just. Hire saying. me, please. <laughs> Hire me. Give, um, us, give us all free passes. We will do. We will plug your park so much. But I will say, the thing that was we'll rough. Plug it with our asses. Was because we had a friend who was staying on property. You know, you get the magic hour where you get to go in an hour early, mm-hmm. and we. So we got done with the Disney, the Halloween party at midnight when the park closes. Wow. We were in the park at seven thirty the next morning. Magic hours at seven, and it was Disneyland that day, so we got in at seven thirty. We went bell to bell, Champion. bell to bell without a break, ding, without, ding. Without, without a nap ride in between. We were, and then we drove home. Damn, how are you awake right now? Um, Quite lots boots. of caffeine, like pure adrenaline. <laughs> well, so the car we were driving down was electric, so we had to stop and charge for a little, like, couple rest mm, periods. So yeah. we'd use that as like quick little power naps. I'm sure, but. Basically, we got home at like seven thirty in the morning, Sunday morning, Jeez. and we slept until like noon. Wow! And champs, yeah. 
tried to pull ourselves together. It was like being, and then we woke up and we, it was like being hungover without having a drop of alcohol the night yeah, before. Yeah, you know, your body cannot maintain as yeah. an adult. Yeah, it yeah. was. this was three days ago and it feels like it was... A lifetime? It felt like it was like a month ago. <laughs> it's like you can tell my brain is still like adjusting to recent, yeah. like transferring recent memories to long term. That's funny. Yeah. Um, but oh, man. as yeah. amazing as Disney Halloween is, tonight what? we are going to focus on... Uh, some monster movies from a very different type of studio. <laughs> well said, Gina. That is an awesome segue. That's a yes. fist bump, by the way. Thank you. I think you are starting to uh, take you. the throne as the next oh. segue queen. <laughs> That's great. Oh, also, by the way, I love your t-shirt, which is Do It Better. Thank you. Because, which, by the way, that is the one Halloween person, creature, whatever you want to call it, that is missing from this list. There are no mm-hmm. goddamn witches in this this list of movies. No, there ain't. Y'all but, I love witches. Do you know, why saying. are we talking about the Universal Studios monster tonight? We are talking about the Universal monsters because when you think of Halloween, you think of certain creatures and they become kind of synonymous with this lexicon of the movies that are known to be the universal studios monster movies or the universal monsters um for the sake of the podcast i'm just going to do a quick like definition of what makes a universal monster and we're not going to um, debate about like we did in the fucking hip-hop episode or Jesus the, the high school episode or the high school episode um, god damn it so when we say <laughs> universal monsters that that refers to a larger span of time and it's a period of well-known monster movies that m- movies not movies movies <laughs> produced by universal spanning about 30 years from the 1920s to the 1950s this period began with silent versions of the phantom of the opera and the hunchback of notre dame i believe both starring lon cheney mm-hmm. lon cheney um, the man of a thousand faces yeah the period includes um a bunch of other films of the horror variety several adaptations of edgar Allan poe stories but these just haven't had the same lasting effect that the classic monster movies have had in the lexicon of film um so the for the sake of the episode we're going to be talking about the true monster movies um a grouping which typically includes but isn't limited to the silent phantom of the opera and Hunchback of Notre Dame films that kicked off the era, followed by Dracula, Frankenstein, and the subsequent Bride of Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Wolfman, The Invisible Man, and The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the others had sequels as well, or more than just one, but none of them really proved to be as iconic as The Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and that's the one kind of iconic monster we do see that is female, which maybe later on will bring up a conversation as to why we don't necessarily see women as monstrous in a particular sense. Um, And then this catalog can also be characterized by its leads, which center primarily around three names, which are uh, Lon Chaney, as Roxy mentioned, Man of a Thousand Faces, uh, Bella Lugosi, and Boris Karloff. You could even add a subclass that includes Lon Chaney Jr., but I think for the sake of like keeping it short and simple we'll stick to those you, know, you could argue og monster actors. the other way you can argue this is these are the carl lemley film carl lemley by the way was the one of the founders of if not the founder of universal studios mm-hmm. that's awesome but he was the named producer right on many of these films for sure mummy and dracula um mm-hmm. for sure on the original um frankenstein uh, the list of movies he goes on is just is 
pretty expansive, but those are kind of like what I find is an alternative name for these, yeah. for these films, other than just being called the Universal Monsters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it so. all really starts off with The Hunchback of Notre Dame back in, it premiered in September um, 2nd of 1923. Yeah. So we're talking some early, early classic films here, all silent movies. Yeah. And the, they the, all the, the really... Si- yeah, the silents were just The Phantom of the Opera and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and then the other ones I mentioned were, were talkies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm also thinking about, like, Lon Chaney's career, where he, yes, he started out really and and came into prominence in his career with those movies, Mm -hmm. um, but he was primarily a a silent film actor Mm -hmm. and became more renowned for his silent film acting skills more so than, and and, and of course for his makeups, you know, I think his makeup skills, and that's probably, probably, like, one of the main components of what makes a universal monster film that particular film mm-hmm. is that the makeups and the prosthetics and the costuming is all just so incredibly well done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, these so were these were productions dude, in seriously. every sense of the word. Yeah, these were hugely <laughs> big movies. Um, boy, that doesn't make that sounds horrible. Hugely <laughs> big movies. It's not like, I mean, I would say. <laughs> sound like I'm. I'm they're, they're, for some reason, I'm channeling our president. They're right bigly, now. They're um, really big. They're yeah. big, bigly good. Bigly good. <laughs> so no, the but yes, they were. Huge productions, I should say. Um, they've spared no expense, and I mean, thank you, Doctor Hammond. Like, <laughs> you can do it, no, Brian. Spared no, no expense. But no, but quite seriously, I mean, and they they caught on, and it's what I think is fascinating is watching how, as film matured, these films matured too, right? Because if you look at the early films, I mean, silent films, you got nothing. You got you got a little bit of score, but it's nothing. Mm-hmm. The moment you build in. The talkies. We're talking early Dracula, early Mummy, early. We're talking about talkies. <laughs> There's no score no. to these movies at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Dracula had a little bit in the um, beginning. In the beginning, and I think in the end as right. well. But yeah, no, there was no official score for these because they didn't necessarily have the capability to sync up the music with everything. Right, I think yeah. the Mummy may have had a little bit more because it was a little later on. Yeah. But um, there, there really wasn't. It was all based around literally audience perception and what at that time would have been viewed as scary, which is not what is viewed as scary nowadays. Mm. You look at these movies now and they're maybe scary if you're like four. <laughs> I, I would beg to but, differ, actually. Um, one of the I had seen Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein before for a college class. But okay. um, I... In prep for this podcast, I watched the Bela Lugosi Dracula for the first time. Mm-hmm. And the fear didn't necessarily come from Dracula, but the facial expression and the crazy eyes that the actor who portrayed Renfield in that film has mm. are actually fairly, ter- like, un- very unsettling, especially. Sure. Um, there's a scene where... Um, Renfield has been on this ship with Count Dracula on the way back to America. And when they dock, they find out that, you know, the entire crew is dead. And the only person that they really find alive on the ship is Renfield. And there's a scene where they they open the door to the bottom of the ship where Renfield is staying with, with Dracula's coffin. And 
it's a very chilling image because the the camera is pointed almost as though you'd opened a cellar door and you're looking down a flight of stairs but Renfield is at the bottom of this flight of stairs with his hands braced against like the two banisters and he's looking up and he has this wild mad face and he's and grinning he's he's, he's grinning but in a very unsettling creepy way like you know something is wrong so is interesting so cool. that and he's doing that uh, <laughs> a, a, a little bit like in, the, yeah, in that scene he's more it's a very like heavy menacing breathing too and right I, like i that would that i felt very uncomfortable watching which by the way was as many things was the basis for peter mcdonald's uh, performance when he did Renfield in Dracula Dead and loving it as ah. well. The whole when he's looking around the table going, uh, 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 oh, yeah. he's over, he's over exaggerating it, but it was from yeah. that moment in the movie. Yeah. That was the inspiration for that yeah. mannerism. So it's right. obviously iconic. It's obviously, and yes, it is a little unsettling because he's glaring right in the camera and yeah. his eyes almost glow in I, a weird way. Yeah. I, I felt, I felt more frightened by Renfield than by Dracula in, in the film. Yeah, Dracula, I got the sense that the Bela Lugosi Dracula, in this, they got the more romanticized, you know, gothic yeah. vampire, I think, where he's a little more appealing. He's mm -hmm. not as necessarily scary. Yeah. Um, I got more, I got more of the sense of potential scaredness from the Spanish Dracula. Hmm. Um, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch the Spanish one. That's something worth noting, too, that, like, the 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 English language Dracula and the Spanish language Dracula were filming simultaneously. Yeah. It's it's the only one that it didn't have a dub over or anything or subtitles. They specifically filmed a Spanish language version of it. Yeah, and we talked about this a couple of years ago, but we'll rehash it quickly. Oh. Yeah, so they would shoot the English version during the day and they would shoot the Spanish version at night. Same oh. sets, same costumes, different actors, different director. But the advantage was the director of the spanish version could watch the dailies from the english version <laughs> so they can see what worked and what didn't and incidentally because of that the spanish version is actually 30 minutes longer because there's more story to the movie and actually the plot makes more sense mm -hmm. um it's also a bit more boring at times because again there's no score and it's very slowly paced with its editing yeah. but there's a lot more that makes sense with where certain things happen what happened to certain people um mm -hmm. for example when uh lucy becomes a vampire in both versions lucy just kind of goes away and they talk about her in exposition yeah in the english version in the spanish version there's actually a shot where von helsing and jonathan go and to her grave and kill her oh, oh wow well actually rather you don't see us see them kill her but they have just come from killing her mm -hmm. and they talk about like that so they just like it just makes a, just a little bit more like consistency with what's yeah. going on that that was the one thing i did notice when watching it was that a, this, the way that the story opens, it kind of jumps in. Like, you are expected to know a little bit what's going on, that this is Renfield and he's traveling to Dracula's castle. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, the, the story is very kind of loosely cobbled together and you know you are you are more intended to kind of look at it as a production than as a complete story. Right. Exactly. Which is I, what I feel like you know, fast forward to all these remakes and films that are paying homage. When you look at Bram Stoker's Dracula, 
which is Francis Ford Coppola. Like that's like a four-hour fucking movie. Oh, but well, it's it feels so good, like it. But it's not a four-hour movie. It is literally an eternity of a goddamn movie. Well, and they dies. fill in every like scene that you might have missed, I guess, mm-hmm. in the original Dracula. Yeah, in yeah. his fucking movie. What I will say, one thing though, I can appreciate about these original movies is that they had, they they were to the point. Yes, they <laughs> were to fair. the point. Though Coppola's Dracula, stunning. Yeah, I mean, visually yeah. stunning. Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein. Speaking of Kenneth Branagh, he directed, or no, he was the uh, narrator, narrator, oh my god, I'm turning into Brian. He was the narrator of a documentary about Lon Chaney um, called Lon Chaney, A Man of a Thousand Faces. Um, And that was premiered on PBS back in 2003. Um, And there was just, I I checked it out the other day to prep for this episode because I am fascinated by the man. I mean, he has such a long, illustrious career dedicated to these types of films. Sure. Where he pretty much invented the monster makeup look for, like, all of his characters. Well, to his own discomfort, too. I mean, I the the phantom look is legendary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also legendary into that he literally put discs under his cheeks, like, yeah. up to the upper part, to make, create that look. And yeah. actually pulled up the nostrils the nose, of his nose yeah. to create the skull look, <sighs> like, the, like the decaying look. That's insane. You know, and, and there's something to be said, Gina, I think what you were kind of alluding to earlier about the fact that, like, yes, there's not very many women very well represented at all in any of these films. But I think there's something to be said about how the leading men, you know, the Boris Kor- oh, Karloff, yeah. the Lon Chaney, like, they just captured this... I want to say, like, there was just this moment in filmmaking, you know, history that they were a part of that they will forever be immortalized mm-hmm. in. And uh, there's actually a quote uh, that Ray Bradbury... Um, had uh, it's about Lon Chaney that I wanted to, to read to you guys. I thought it really kind of well encompassed what I'm trying to allude to here. And he says uh, about Lon Chaney he says he was someone who acted out our psyches. He somehow got into the shadows inside our bodies. He was able to nail down some of our secret fears and put them on screen. The history of Lon Chaney is the history of unrequited loves. He brings that part of you out into the open because you fear that you are not loved. You fear that you will never be loved. You fear there is some part of you that's grotesque that the world will turn away from you. Hmm. If that's not like that's an amazing. encapsulation of every like anti-hero monster character in any of these movies, I don't know what is because that's exactly how I feel about all of them. Yeah. As much mm-hmm. as you fear them, you love them just the same and I, you pity them. Oh, yeah. I was almost wondering like is there anybody in today's film world that we could compare to Lon Chaney and I think the only name I could really come up with was like possibly Doug Jones who goes under very heavily extensive makeup for lots of things he was um, Abe Sapien in the Hellboy films um, very heavily makeuped as both the fawn and the pale man in Pan's Labyrinth right Um, you know kind of going on our Halloween theme he was also Billy Butcherson in Hocus Pocus I was gonna say wasn't he Um, Billy yeah (laughs) which I think was one of the rare times where he actually spoke on screen because he was also because he wasn't the original voice of Abe Sapien that was David Hyde Pierce but he mm. spoke for the sequel The Golden Army. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Also, he's one of the nicest people in person. Yes. So you met him? Yeah, I met him at a okay. 
convention several years ago that like I went to it was just a firefly con for the first couple years and then the last year I went they'd extended it to a little bit more of the the surrounding weed inverse and That's so cool. they had Doug Jones and Camden Toy there because there there's a I think the scariest episode of Buffy called Hush um they were two of the uh the the gentleman in that and so Doug Jones was there and I had the privilege of meeting him there That's cool I might make a counterpoint to that Doug Jones definitely in the makeup sense of the word yeah but not so much in that because Lon Chaney was a household name and I don't right. think Doug Jones is I would say maybe closer to Andy Serkis I was gonna say oh Andy that's Circus. good too yeah. yeah yeah even though Andy Serkis is the CGI is a mocap actor yeah but he's an amazing mocap actor so much so that he, right and he will, obviously mo-cap, does yeah. the voice work too, right so. and I think you know mo- mocap especially in the way that Andy Serkis acts is almost like you know the modern day heavy makeup sure too, in in yeah. some in some senses where Except... you where you can't you can't necessarily achieve that golem look on a human but, but you have to physically right. embody but the way that andy circus embodied that character yeah. was very reminiscent well you don't have to put on sit in a makeup chair for five hours but you do have to like wear an uncomfortable like body unitard oh, yeah. for eight hours and then have dots put all over your yeah, face yeah unitard so covered in capture. like golf balls exactly yeah. or ping pong balls so yeah mocap has its own yeah crosses it has to bear but but so. ultimately i think the point we're getting at is there was so much work and so much heart and soul put into these monster movies and i'm not saying that movies today don't have that same level but it's there's almost a little bit more of an ease to things where we can project things onto a green screen now for things like phantom of the opera and hunchback of notre dame they were building full-scale sets of things like the paris opera house or things that would mimic notre dame cathedral and right. you know these are all these are all things that were a normal part of the job and would just be torn down at the end or i believe i think it was the phantom of the opera sets they caught fire or something wow. but um yeah and i mean yeah. beautiful you know we talk about matte painting now in a digital concept where again it's a green screen or it's a digital it's a photoshop picture that we kind of splice in yeah and there is a little bit of trick photography like that in these films but mostly we're talking about matte painting is like no it's like a two-story painting yeah that was painted in explicit detail that just blends beautifully with a real life shot you yeah know? um I always think of like this is not a horror movie at all, but I always think of the Wizard of Oz when oh. they're when you literally see the shot of Dorothy and the Scarecrows, you know, after they sing, we're off to see the Wizard, and they're skipping off into this long road mm-hmm. into. Then you see the Emerald City in the distance. If they had walked like a foot further, they would have hit the damn wall. Yeah. <laughs> but you would you don't notice it because it is such a beautifully done mat that it just blends in. Yeah, that's you the know? studio system for you. Huh? Exactly, and my God, these. I mean, these actors just were put through the ringer to get these movies done in time, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, that and I i think what was interesting about Dracula, too, I'm going to go back to that real quick and then we could probably move on. Um, no! Is that um, <laughs> this Dracula movie was actually the first one that was, ac- that was uh, sanctioned by Bram Stoker's descendants or his estate to be able to do um we kind of think of the first wow. vampire movie or dracula ish movie um as being nosferatu right but um, murnau couldn't get yeah so the approval yeah so nosferatu is actually like um it was an unauthorized adaptation of dracula and at the time um bram stoker's estate 
challenged them and actually won and there were many like they'd actually ordered all of the copies of Nosferatu to be destroyed um, but then the ones that made it through it's now seen as kind of you know a visionary of film at the time but this Dracula movie with Bela Lugosi was the first one that was more actually sanctioned by the Stoker estate and it was also at a time where the what the the script that the movie is using was a show on Broadway at the time and hmm. Universal saw that they could capitalize on that and then that kind of kicked off this era of monster movie talkies. Right. And nice. by the way, Bela Lugosi had played Dracula in that yeah. Broadway production as well. That's mm. why they cast him. Mm -hmm. in that. Jumping back to Nosferatu for a second. Did you guys ever see the movie um, called Shadow of the Vampire? No. Yes. With, uh, yeah, with John Malkovich Creepy and uh, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, it yes. was basically a, uh, a fictionalized retelling of the making of Nosferatu. Yeah, oh, it wow. was the, basically, Where... it was the premise was that yeah. Max Schreck was... Really, Actually. a vampire who yeah. they cast oh, to wow. play as Count Orlock. That yeah. he <laughs> was so involved in his role that he like literally Ooh. like transformed. It's so creepy, Gina. Ooh. You have to watch it. I saw yeah. it on I think okay. HBO one time. Well, yeah, like, the cover was that he was a method actor, oh, but, okay. but he was so. But method. the reality was he was a real. Vamp vampire. He was a real vampire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he was so creepy. Yeah, um, and played by brilliantly Willem Dafoe oh my and. God. Eddie Izzard's in it too. Eddie Izzard's oh, in it. Oh, really? Great. Um, mm -hmm. Malkovich. Carriel was. Super creepy. Mal Carriel was great <laughs> in it as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, to make a quick little cap on the. Oh my on God. The Wait, hold thing. on. Nicolas Cage produced it. That doesn't surprise me in the least. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Oh my Nicolas God. Cage is probably a vampire. I'm know. a vampire. I'm um, a vampire. I can't remember. I'm trying to look it up, but I'm failing with Google right now. Um, there is another Dracula movie that's coming out. As if we don't have enough. There's like over a thousand of them. Yeah. Um, but this is the first one that's being done as kind of a... I don't know if it's a sequel or if it's technically... Like, it's like a... It's almost kind of like what Dracula Untold was, where like they bridge the gap of Vlad Tepish and oh, of yeah. history and Dracula, like Dracula of, of, of um, you know, folklore. But this one is being done by Stoker's great-great-grandson. Oh, that's super He's cool. writing the script for it. Oh, shit. So it's kind of the... the I don't want to say official, like the next entry into the lexicon, mm -hmm. but it is. Yeah, so. I I never saw Dracula Untold, and that's what I liked when I watched the the Coppola Dracula was that they did touch mildly on the the Vlad Tepesh mythology, right? Um, which makes the rounds every Halloween. I love seeing it's a graphic of Vlad Tepesh that says uh, Halloween yard decoration champion. <laughs> um, <laughs> because he would like which is which people. is yeah. fucking dark but i laugh um because i'm a horrible horrible person um <laughs> well vlad vlad the impaler was a bloodthirsty psychopath yes um but i will say a fun little connection oh, is that vlad. historically we think that vlad tepish would have been born even though he was romanian he was born in what would have been modern day hungary yeah. now and Bela Lugosi was Hungarian. I'm sorry, so, you guys. Whenever I think about Vlad, I always think of what we do in the shadows. <laughs> oh. Leave me to do my dark beating on the internet. I, for those <laughs> I'm beating on the table. <laughs> if there's anybody who hasn't listened to Nerds on History, we did a great episode about vampires a couple years ago called mm. I Vote Gumby for, for Vampire. <laughs> and we did the cold open was a marketing, a PR rep trying to talk to Vlad the Impaler, <laughs> who in this version we gave, we had Eric play because he does a brilliant 
Transylvanian accent. Nice. But he had him as if he was asthmatic. Oh so we were joking. I said, Vlad, we got to work on your marketing. They're making funny. They're calling you Vlad the Inhaler. Oh. Uh, and like, so it was this whole little bit we did with that. And um, great episode about the history of vampires in general throughout Europe, but... If you don't say so yourself, uh-huh. Well, no, I, I'm thinking, saying the stuff that Eric brought to the table. I'm not even talking about I know, stuff. I'm just giving you all but the shit I have to give you, Brian. It's, it's since it's thematically appropriate, yeah, check sweet. it out. Uh, it's we'll just do. a funny little bit there, but... Um, we miss you, Eric. Why don't, what do we want, which movie do we want to talk about next? Do we want to do, like, Frankenstein? Mm. I think so, it's the next most popular, right? Yeah, um, we could do Frankenstein and then, like, Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. Totally. Um, yeah, so Frankenstein came, I believe, out, I, I don't Frankenstein. have... Frankenstein. Frankenstein. <laughs> um, I don't have the exact timeline in front of me. I'm fairly certain uh, Frankenstein was the next one that was pursued after Dracula that was based on uh, Mary Shelley's novel. Um, and of course, you know, we know we're going to get feedback that's like, um, Frankenstein is the doctor, not the monster. Um, yeah, no, we, we know we're going to move past yeah, that. Um, it did. Um, <laughs> so yes, um, whatever. Dracula, weirdly enough, was released on February 12th, 1931. I guess because so, of the romantic side of it, right before Valentine's Day. It's a Valentine's Day, Day know, movie, right? baby. <laughs> um, well, we're talking about, we're moving from the 20s into the 30s. Correct. And yeah. so, yeah. In and, the 30s, you do with Dracula in 31 right. and 31 and then Frankenstein and yeah. So, so can you just to make sure we understand this. So, for quick context. So, yes, Hunchback was 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Phantom was 27. Oh, no, Phantom right. was 25. Oh, sorry, 25, sorry. Um, Dracula and Frankenstein were released in the same year. Hmm. Let's put that in mind. So February was the release for Dracula. November was the release. November 21st, right before Thanksgiving, um, <laughs> was the release for Frankenstein. Damn. Um, and yes, to your point about Edgar Allan Poe, the, the, their, yeah, they went, you know, they went through a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe stories. Crazy too. ones. Yeah. Um, so Murders in Rue Morgue came out shortly after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so um, and then Bride of Frankenstein didn't come out until I think a couple of years later. Yeah, 35. 35, yeah. So mm-hmm. so many things that we think of when we think of the mad scientist archetype obviously come from the Frankenstein mm-hmm. story. But there was no Igor in this movie at all. In fact, the, the hunchback was never even referred to as Igor. I think his name was Fritz in the James yeah, Whale version of the in movie. The, I, I believe so, yeah. Um, and like the, the, interesting, the interesting thing about this idea is, you know, first of all, I do want to point out there are, you know, plenty of, you know, neckbeards out there that are like, oh, you know, women don't belong in sci-fi. And I hate that all of this is becoming so like SJW or whatever. Um, I just want to tell you that like a like late teens, early 20s woman created your genre. So fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you yeah. mean Mary Shelley? Mary yeah. Shelley says yeah. go totally. fuck like, yourself Mar- like, Mary, like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is one of the earliest examples of what you would refer to as science fiction. Absolutely. It's the, and it's, they, I mean, I love the alternate title, the modern Prometheus. Yeah. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. And totally. And I love that that movie, that fateful inspiration came from a weekend where the Shelleys, cause her husband of mm-hmm. course was Percy Shelley, the poet mm-hmm. had, were spending the weekend with Lord Byron. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. And Lord Byron made his, wrote his own vampire story too in the, the Gothic era. So. Yeah. Um, this was, it was like the, it came out of a weekend where they were all kind of, you know, imagine, you know, a bunch of buddies trying to get together and like write the best horror story or something like that. And 
what you put in perspective with Mary Shelley too is she had a really interesting upbringing where uh, her mother was um, Mary Wollstonecraft who wrote a piece called Vindication of the Rights of Women. And one of the things like, but she passed away when Mary Shelley was really young. So the way that Mary Shelley would kind of feel like she was in touch with her mother was she would sit on her mother's grave and read all the things she had written. Wow. Um, And then... As Mary Shelley grew up, you know, this was in a particular era where women were often very confined to the home and, you know, she either miscarried or lost several children. So there was a period of so many years where Mary Shelley was either like pregnant, you know, feeding or like waiting to get pregnant again because she had like recently lost a child. And when you say feeding, she was feeding her babies. She wasn't feeding off of. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't like being a vampire. Yeah, and so so her writing her writing Frankenstein, you know, feeling kind of like a machine of the era, you know, women were kind of looked at as baby machines of the era. She thought it was it would be interesting too to kind of approach Frankenstein as like, well, what if we, you know, did this with like a male character? as well um and then when you look at the the frankenstein novel there's also you look at the women in, in different literary perspectives but we're not gonna touch on that this is yeah. not, a, I feel like a, really not a lit podcast good like modern interpretation of all of those themes is of course the tv series penny dreadful yeah you know and how that whole uh sort of storyline of the bride being created for the purpose of providing this you know uh, unconditional companionship for a creature who feels so unlovable and is so mm-hmm. uncertain of what love is. I feel like that is so telling of how in the times women definitely felt like objects. Mm-hmm. Sure. And really were confined to society that treated them as such and never gave them a chance to, unless they fought for it. Mm-hmm. And that I think that also lends to why Frankenstein was such a volatile character and had so much grief and anger inside of him. Well, there's, there's a great scene in the Frankenstein film where, you know, he's wandered away from the lab and everything, and he actually wanders into the home of a blind man. Yeah. And the blind man is actually ah, very... I'm sorry. Yeah. I think of young Frankenstein. Well, yeah. I'm going to talk about that in a <laughs> second. I'm going to... Yeah. Uh, and he wanders into the home of a blind man, and the blind man is, you know, very friendly towards him and everything because he can't see, mm. you know, how monstrous this figure looks. And I think one of the things that was a little bit different between the novel and... Um, and the movie was, I believe in the novel, you do see intelligence in the creature as well. Um, I don't want to necessarily make this comparison, but it's almost kind of like a Flowers for Algernon kind of thing mm. where you, you see him kind of learn and get smarter. And the and monster's then, eloquent. Yeah, and he's he's eloquent. Whereas in the film, you do see a little bit more of this kind of lumbering, like, oh, you know, speaking in, in grunts and moans right. and things. Right. Um, you don't, you kind of were taken like out of that, kind of that eloquence um, because yeah. they, they really wanted it to come across that, like, yes, this is a monster. This isn't an actual man kind of thing but he's also endearing at the same time yeah absolutely well so the thing i I keep thinking about is the order i saw these movies when we're talking about renditions of frankenstein yeah is i saw young frankenstein first oh yeah and then i saw the james whale (laughs) classic frankenstein and then i watched bits and pieces of kenneth branagh's uh frankenstein and I mean, it goes without saying that when Mel Brooks made Young Frankenstein, he based the film heavily off of the James Whale 
-hmm. version of the story. With one very important exception, I would say. When he credits the original novel, the Carl Lemley movie uses refers to the book by Mrs. Percy B. Shelley. There's that whole subjugation of women thing again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Because um, um, apparently a woman ooh. in her own right couldn't be valid unless she was named by her husband. Mm-hmm. Damn. Mel Brooks says the book by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. That's yeah. awesome. Which I thought, I read that name, I was like, holy crap, that name's awesome. Yeah, it's fucking dope. Right. It's like... Sorry, guys, if you can hear sirens in the background. Um, it's an ambulance heading by our, our house. Um, everything's fine. We're fine. You're fine. We're fine. I don't know. Emotionally, I'm a little bit concerned. <laughs> okay. I hope whoever is out there who needs that assistance is okay. Yes, I hope so, too. Considering how the state of affairs have been in our nation as of late. Yes, I can't indeed. help but feel a little bit, you know, on edge. Understandably so. so. Uh, but we're fine. Yeah, we're Everything's fine. cool. Let's all take a breath. <gasps> Um, so anyway um it's just it's an interesting story it really is and i I think a lot of the true fans of the original novel will say that the the whale version doesn't do the novel justice but at the same time it's kind of it was kind of its own thing It, it became it Took on a life of its own, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> it's alive! Know. Right, right. And so everyone always, one of the most misquoted moments in that is that it's alive, it's alive. So in the movie, he says, it's alive, it's alive. God in heaven, it's alive. And it's so, it's brilliant acting. It's like he's frantic and he's just like going in this complete like mm-hmm. manic moment of, I did it. I can't believe I fucking did it. Um, and it. <laughs> Frankenstein the musical we do mashups of that oh my oh, god so good that would be amazing would do. I think one, one of the things that was a little bit more controversial when this film came out was the the creature is meant to be somewhat endearing and then because they made him a little bit more of this this simple character um, what you get is a scene of where they're trying to communicate you know the level of comprehension that he has, but there are certain things that he doesn't understand. So one of the scenes that is most infamous in this film is he meets a little girl and this little girl and her childlike innocence is fully accepting of him and everything. And what they're doing is they're picking flowers and they're throwing them into a lake mm. and it's fun. Does it? <laughs> yeah. And young Frankenstein, doesn't he throw her into the lake? That's, no, that's, that's actually what happens in the original film oh, is yeah. he, he picks her up and he throws her into the lake. And it's, it's that moment where you get that almost more monstrous feel from him, but it's not that he was acting out of malevolence. It's just that, oh, well, it's fun throwing this in. So what are we, you know, what's the next natural progression? And he, he just did not understand. Right. Exactly. Um, I think Lenny in of mice and men. Yeah. I think some of the cuts of the film also, they, they don't explicitly mention that like the little girl drowns or anything. I think there's, there's certain cuts of the film where it cuts from him throwing her in to a shot of her in someone's arms, like very limp. But I think there are other cuts where they've chosen to take that out because it, it just shows too much malevolence from the creature as opposed to, 
at least if you cut that out, it's still ambiguous as to, well, she could have lived. It could have just like been a mistake kind of right, thing. Right, right, right. And to answer your question, so in the movie, what they do is, because it's a famous moment, she said, oh, no, all gone. What do we throw in now? And the monster <laughs> looks right in the camera going. <laughs> um yeah so oh, they great. they definitely that's exactly that callback that you're thinking yeah. of so. that that is that's a tough call to make i think yeah well it's also i mean no one likes to i mean even back then especially back then no one wants to show a child be murdered yeah you know and how do you do it in a way that's tasteful right mm-hmm. <laughs> i what i wish they had done is i wish we had seen the monster that was created by Mary Shelley, the, and the very articulate creature. The, the, yeah, not the not the impish. Well, no, impish isn't the you right word. You get that in Penny Dreadful. True, and and then pretty much every version since yeah. has been the talking, eloquent, misunderstood monster mm-hmm. who just he's fine, but he just he looks fugly, and <laughs> therefore <laughs> the world cannot accept him. Right? Yeah, yeah, as opposed to the like slouching, green, you know, lurching about creature. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, and you know. Boris Karloff, I mean, he could never live that part down either. Right. You know, I mean, he was also, I mean, I would say he was a contemporary of Cheney in that he was able to pull off all these different unique characters. But it says something that when you are so synonymous with that character that they write a part into Arsenic and Old Lace Hmm. for a guy who is like the brother of the main character who, (laughs) Peter Lorre, um, playing the uh, plastic surgeon makes his face look like Boris Karloff because he had just seen the Frankenstein movie. Mm. It's even funnier because when the show played on Broadway, Boris Karloff played that act, the, oh, the wow. actor. <laughs> so it was just the whole thing was an inside joke with the audience nice. that, yeah. Oh, that's funny. He's synonymous with Frankenstein. So mm. let me ask you guys this. You know, the fact is that these are timeless pieces of cinematic. These are cinematic tentpoles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where, and you know the fact is that Universal Studios, I think, has used them time and time again as sort of their call to arms with, with regard to making Universal Studios relevant. You know, you have Marvel, you have all these other studios who are coming up in the ranks, and I don't feel like, I feel like no other studio has as much... I want to say just like of a reputation as Universal Studios does with when it comes to consistency in portraying their monsters in film. Yeah. And you've seen in recent years a lot of remakes, homages, sequels, prequels, what have you come through the books. Some not so good, some better. I'm more referring to like, you know, Hugh Jackman's Van Helsing right. as compared to like Benicio del Toro and the Wolfman. Benicio the del Toro Wolfman and the Wolfman was pretty damn good. Well, I mean, it was also pretty much a shot for shot remake of the original. Which was pretty mm. fucking good with yeah. all the, you know, the special effects that and, they had. I mean, and he movies. looked a lot like the original Wolfman yeah. design too. And then you have, you know, Dracula Untold, which was pretty I, I want to say controversial Meh. in how it was perceived, but I, I thought or, it was I mean, a, it was a, supposed to be the Dark Universe my question point. is, yeah, where do you see the dark universe going? Can we mm, can we define dark universe for the audience? Because I think that's one that because it hasn't become like as popular as like the Marvel extended universe or something or like the you know the DCU or whatever. Let's define what dark universe is moving forward. Well, so, I mean, it's hard to say because there's only been one film made of it, but the intention is they did, the, they did the Mummy. The shitty one. Well, the um, Dracula Untold isn't considered part of it. Oh, really? Oh, no, not, it was then. supposed to be the first one, oh. but they're not. They're not counting it. 
They, oh. didn't, they, they shunned it. They're ignoring it. They're doing they... like what they did with the last two Terminator movies. <laughs> okay. Um, last three, actually. Someone's um, bitter. Yeah, so basically it's supposed to eventually be, I, I guess, a Dark Avengers. So they started this whole prodigium organization, which Henry Jekyll was involved with. Brian, Brian, Brian. What? Define prodigium. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, prodigium is the name of the organization. Oh, oh okay. thank God. I was like, please don't let this be another one of his no, 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 non sequiturs. No, no, no prodigium. <laughs> it's not a non sequitur. First of all, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> how's that for Latin? Okay. Um, second of all, so, no, the organization that Henry Jekyll is oh. kind of running is called Prodigium. Thank oh, you. Okay. okay. And they're the people who are trying to seek out supernatural oddities yeah. and try like to League destroy them. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. Basically. That's what I don't like about it. I'm just like, I don't, yeah. I don't need another League of Extraordinary it's Gentlemen. It's very, very contrived is what is the way yeah. I feel about it. And they say that the big bad is going to be Dracula. And mm. or at least that's what they're implying. And I just don't care. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I would love to see a movie if you could make them all the monsters team up in some way because there was that poster and that marketing they did in the early 90s to remarket all the old films it was like yeah it's actually kind of interesting right but do it in a way that doesn't have to make it feel like it's a superhero movie or a comic book movie in general you know i mean i'm looking at the poster right now but if you look at abbott and costello meet frankenstein you know dracula is involved with that story and he is trying to use the monster Mm-hmm. To his own, you know, to his own purposes, and the Wolfman works his way into that, right? I think that it might even be if they could have, they would have thrown the creature from the Black Lagoon in there too, um, which came later, so it yeah, wouldn't have been possible. Last. But if they could have, and you know, anachronisms were a thing, like he could have, they could have probably done that too, and it would have some, find some way of working. You have to come up with some kind of through line that makes sense, yeah, and doesn't feel like it's. Yeah, well, making me feel like it doesn't make it make it straight. I'm stuttering here. Yeah, because it's it's also that idea of like we we start to get into that territory of does everything need an extended or expanded universe? And I look at these originals of these Universal monster movies, and no, they didn't connect in any way. Most of them drew on different forms of classic literature that were all written by separate authors yeah they may have come out of the same general ish time periods but they didn't feel the need to try to connect all of them together in some way especially in some rickety discombobulated wannabe league of extraordinary gentlemen kind of way and i i personally didn't see dracula untold or the newer mummy film just because well yeah so i've heard just because neither of them had Brendan Fraser in it. Well, fair. Um, but like, they I'm they bitter. they just didn't look. It looked like they were trying too hard, and it you know it's just kind of like oh we're gonna remake this for like the modern era, and it's yeah. it's it's just a little bit too much. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was. You guys remember <laughs> the Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon? Oh yeah, I mean that was. Oh, I mean that was more like a sci-fi redo of the Invisible Man for sure. It really, it literally was though. Like yeah. they, they paid homage to the Invisible Man in every which way they could. Well, I mean, in in the purest sense that the idea of being made invisible drove him insane. Yeah, and turned mm-hmm. him into a murdering, you know. I say maniac. I say <laughs> they should just make. Let's just go the comedy route and bring back Kevin Bacon as the Invisible Man. 
See, so if, so guys, if we're gonna pitch this, if you want to do the Dark Universe right, you get Seth Rogen on this. Yes. Oh God! Yes. And Evan Goldberg, and you do a semi a quasi comical. James Franco as Dracula. Well, no, like right, right. He has the cheekbones. So like earlier, you brought you Roxy brought up what we do in the shadows. Oh my God! And I thought yeah. what we do in the shadows was so good because it's you see vampires portrayed so often in a way that like. It, they take themselves way too seriously. Too much. And I loved what we do in the shadows because it's like, all right, we're just like four dudes from different time periods and we're we're trying to live or whatever. And then like when they bring in the werewolf characters, like it's Ooh, werewolves, so it's, werewolves. it's so funny. And you know, like you said, it's you know the the one guy that's like, oh, you know, leave me to do my dark bidding, and you see him wrapped in a blanket on eBay or <laughs> they're you know, watching the sunrise on YouTube video. Yeah, and right. then, or like and like. I think I think like Taika Waititi especially brings a lot of fun to things, and that's that's it. I feel like yes. I feel like okay. so many of these movies there was still an element of like bravado, but also a certain level of fun oh to them. God, so Even much. in the classics, it's you know there's you know the fun of looking at this spectacle, mm-hmm. but. You know, you see movies, you know, I'm assuming like Dracula Untold or like The New Mummy that like they take themselves yeah. way too seriously. Because everybody knows the best coping skill to handle fear is with Humor. laughter. Yeah, Humor. totally. And the yeah. best horror films know how to balance those out. Absolutely. Yeah. We Pretty just cute. talked about it in the last episode. Yeah. And I felt like that they balanced out humor with horror so well. Absolutely. So yeah. well in that. Can film. we can we run through quickly the the remaining um, yeah, so, members of this lexicon? Yeah, so what we have is uh we have Bride of Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Wolfman, The Invisible Man and Creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. So with the exception Creature. of Bride of Frankenstein and Frankenstein, the other ones are really not connected at all. No, no. Um, I would love to see a remake of Creature of the Black, Black Lagoon. Some sort of modern telling. I would like to see it too because the I mean what do you call I call it the Gil I think officially it was called the Gil, the Gil Man, Man originally. Yeah. And then Ooh, they were just maybe like, they're mm. doing that in the shape of water. You know that movie coming out? Oh, the Guillermo del Toro one. Yeah. I'd be interested to see that. I feel like that's kind of. I mean, a... and they're all very interestingly proxies of their time too, because I feel like Creature of the Black Lagoon is very much fifties creature feature. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Mummy would that one have come out around the time that like it like the the whole like Egyptian thing was really big, like you know. King Tut's tomb. I'm was glad found, you asked that question. So. so it was definitely inspired by that. Yeah. Um, the the big unearthing of King Tut's tomb, I believe, was in the late 20s. Yeah. So it would have been several years, or maybe even early 20s, but it would have definitely have been um, within recent memory, which is why <gasps> oh, the story yeah. was drafted. I read something about how they finally were able to like uh, basically reanimate, not reanimate. Oh my god, no, <laughs> no reanimation happening. No, they were able to um, construct a re-envisioning of what King Tut's body actually looked like, oh, yeah. based off of the skeletal remains. But they also talked about how like the tomb has been ransacked repeatedly since it was yeah. really discovered. Yeah. Well, but like how modern King Tut. Like, he had, like, a horrendous club foot and, like, yeah. just was, like, horrendously disfigured. Because of inbreeding, yeah. Because yeah. of severe inbreeding. Severe, severe inbreeding, yeah. Um, the technology that's able to kind of reconstruct him is incredible. Absolutely. So you guys should all check well, out Well, what we do know that. now is, I mean, there's always all the myths that the people who actually went into the tomb all got died of mysterious causes. And they all did die, but... Keep in mind that they were in an area that was spreading, that was you know rife with disease, and they had not yeah, immunized there was themselves like correctly. Yellow fever yeah. all over that, and right? malaria and all that, so forth. Yeah. Um, so there's that as well. Um, but what I will say that is interesting on the more recent note is that they've been able to use imaging from um, infrared 
and like x-ray kind of stuff. Cool. Mm-hmm. Science. Um, where they've now been yeah. able to determine that there was chambers that they did not reach inside of the tomb. <gasps> yeah. One of them could have been a treasure chamber. We're not Ooh. sure because the current archaeological um, decorum is that you don't move it. You don't move it. Don't yeah. don't go there. Don't touch that shit. If you if you have to break a sealed door, don't do it. Yeah, it's not worth it because you can probably shove a camera in there. Exactly. You so got to get a little robot like at the beginning of Titanic. Right. <laughs> mm. So it's just interesting to see how that how the perception has changed. But yes, um, it was inspired by that. Um, Invisible Man, I mean, that's just classic sci-fi. It's the idea of voyeurism, right? It's the idea mm-hmm. of what does that do to the mind when you become truly invisible? Yeah. I just want to see Ryan Reynolds be the Invisible Man. <laughs> can we do that? Can we make that happen? Just like Deadpool, Invisible Man. Yeah. Um, number one, on can one. you find white ace bandage? Number two, can you find a pair of sunglasses? <laughs> it's not not difficult. Um, and then I think, I think the Wolfman, I think, was also coming out of, you know, like the mummy came out of that era of the the unearthing of King Tut's tomb being in recent memory. I think the Wolfman came out in that period where the idea of, like, mysticism was really big, too. Like, mysticism and, like, spiritualism. Sure. Um, and so it, they were definitely drawing on what was, like, kind of trendy at the time, mm-hmm. too, that they saw that they could capitalize on. That's great. That's really great. You guys, this was awesome. I learned so much about that era of filmmaking. I am so <laughs> thankful for both of your brains. Um, I'm definitely going to do a better job, I think, this particular season of diving into those movies because they deserve to be rewatched, I think. They they are, like I, like Brian said, they're tentpoles yeah. in, 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 in film and in the industry. Yeah. Um, and they deserve a lot more credit. They do deserve a lot more credit because, I mean, yes, they are proxies of their time. I'm, the film nerd in me is very curious. <sighs> Some people are going to want to crucify me for this. I kind of want to see someone go George Lucas with it. Ooh. And not redo the movies, but slightly re-edit the movies in a way where the pacing is different. Yeah. And yeah. maybe add underscoring to it and add elements that may enhance the movie in a way that makes it more terrifying. Yeah. But but in, in something that actually, you know adds to the film not three fucking do-backs in the background of a scene like exactly <laughs> exactly no yeah. totally. that really enhanced my view i mean like like i said i mentioned this last year but it bears repeating philip glass wrote a score to the 1931 dracula movie Ooh. and there are special screenings in la where you can go and listen to his score synced with Ooh, that version that sounds like fun right time. i would love to do that um guys if you are subscribers to cable and who is now but if you are the Terror Classic Movies uh, app and the channel will be running replays of all the classic Universal Monster movies throughout all of October. Nice. Also, a bunch of these I did just plug into Google, uh, watch uh, original black and white Dracula or watch original Frankenstein. And there there are links that are, Amazon that are real easy there. to find, too. Yes, um, oh. guys. Are you talking about, like, for free? Yeah. Yeah, and we do not. I'm not going to say anything about that. I know, but, right? You know, we don't I, exactly uh, so a lot endorse of, it. To but, be fair, uh, a lot of the ones I found were ones that were hosted on sites that were so like film students could watch them. Uh, Got it. Yeah. So it wasn't. They're edu- horribly they're, illegal. Yeah, they're for edu- it's meant for educational purposes. Yeah, and it is educational if you're going to watch it from that perspective. Yeah. But if you're watching it for entertainment, just rent it off Amazon. Pay guys. your dues. Yeah. Come on. Um, Amazon sells a sweet ass box set of it too. Sick. If yeah, I had, the, yeah. if I had the monies, I would have shelled out for that. Right. Or get it for your next Hollow Queen Miss 
Halloween miss. Hollow miss. Not that Universal Studios needs more money, but I mean, it's just the right thing to do, guys. Also, they're going to fund that sweet ass studio tour. Right. Still have not been to Harry Potter Land, and it kills me a little bit. Gina, we need to see. That's what I wish. I wish that they would do something that was a Universal Monsters mashup in the. Universal Park during a Halloween. I would so so go to that. I I remember when I was a monster mash, right? A monster Monster, mash. Monster mashup, yes. I the very Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. Spooky scary. Boys becoming men. Men becoming wolves. It's way better than Monster Mash. Um the very first time I went to Universal Studios as a kid. They had like face characters walking Mm. around that were I there's pictures of me and like my cousin. Um with you know face characters dressed like the Bella Lugosi Dracula, right? And, Frankenstein, um, Bride of Frankenstein. We saw, uh, oh. I believe, Bride of Frankenstein and uh, Phantom of the Opera. Nice. Yeah. yeah, but that's like all they do though. It's just they have the face characters walking around. Yeah, and yes. even even then, I don't necessarily see the face characters there much anymore no. either. Right. Yeah. Um, of those classic Avengers. ones, I've seen like Beetlejuice and like Abbott and Costello, but not necessarily the monsters. Mm. Right. Exactly. And I think it's important that those need to be brought. I mean, they'll probably be brought up this this month, but yeah, um, yeah, they just they just gotta be something. I like this just a stage show or just something that like yeah. that makes it feel like yeah, just throw up a goddamn cobweb and make it feel like it's Halloween over there, please. Yeah, um, <laughs> here's three dollars. Go buy some spiderweb. <laughs> Too much to ask for, Jesus. <laughs> um, should we get to feedback? Let's do yeah, it. Let's do it. Listener feedback. Um, let's read our feedback from Laura Rose. Oh, yes. I love this title of this. Gina, would you like to read this? Oh, sure. See, I, they haven't hooked me up with a Nerdonomy email yet, so I don't get any of these. (laughs) Yeah. Now that I know that that, we're going to fix that. (laughs) All right. Uh, this is from Laura Rose. Um, subject is long overdue fangirling. Best subject ever. It says... Over three years ago, I was very ill with septicemia. The best way of describing it is like pulling a plug from a computer. I could only blink to communicate for months and couldn't read for a year. I'm still recovering now. Something I could always rely on to make me smile was your wonderful podcasts. I'm not exaggerating when I say hearing your nerdy views brought light to my darkest days. Never underestimate how brilliant you all are. My brain injury didn't affect my personality, so I'm the same massive nerd I always was. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for the ear nectar. Forever your fan, Laura Rose. Laura. That was beautiful. I've, it oh was. God. That's great. I kind of love ear nectar. I also think it's kind of gross. Gross. <laughs> but I kind <laughs> but of love ear nectar. Way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so thank you. Seriously. Thank you for that. We are so yeah. appreciative of Seriously, that. And we're glad we were able to. Thank you for not, sharing that with us. I feel like us. our fans have been super heartfelt a lot lately i mean i can also speak to the fact that people are probably pretty emotional with the ending of nerds on history um and i wonder you know we've been having i feel like a lot of fans um you know listening to us based on just finding either podcast um and getting into it and if you're new new to our platform 
based on either show, we welcome you. And, you know, we hope that definitely we're going to continue to provide, you know, entertainment and, and some stuff that helps you feel like a part of our family because we feel like family. Absolutely. And part and glad of you our world. Uh, and and on that note, speaking of nerds in history, I was just talking to Eric. Yeah. Literally like five minutes ago. Nice. And um, did you guys hug it out? We did hug it out. Um, we did. Um, <laughs> He's a good hugger. We had talked about when Nerds in History ended about a potential reunion. Oh, my God. And it looks like that might... I don't want to say anything <gasps> yet because we haven't talked to Sarah, but that might be happening. Oh, my oh, God. That's wonderful. Guys, yeah. Me. Yeah. And, oh. and it, it, it would not be us going back to a regular schedule. It's it going to be a, on Netflix. No. <laughs> no. It would not be a go back to a regular schedule, but it okay. might just be... Like a, two-parter special <gasps> topic that we oh, released. Oh, that's fun. Oh, that'd be so, that's we'll okay. so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Well, let me read this from uh, uh, from um, Courtney. So the subject is nerd love. Uh, hi, nerds. I've been binging on both shows since I found your podcast a few months ago. I'm caught up on nerds on film and sadly finished nerds on history. I work nights, so I usually get through a few episodes a night. I love everybody and have something in common with almost all of you. I was wondering if before the new Avengers movie next year, could you maybe do a recap of all the Marvel movies to make sure everyone is caught up going in? I asked this mostly because you were on break when Doctor Strange came out, and that was my favorite of the movies, and I really want to hear someone other than me geek out about it. Uh, Keep the laughs coming, and I'll keep listening. Also, tell Eric I miss him and would like him to be a guest host soon. And let David out of the closet. He always makes me grin when I hear his voice in the opening. Love, Courtney. Um, Courtney, girl, you are aw. not alone. Yeah, thank you again. Um, we probably should give a little update about Dave, huh? <laughs> um, him and Deshaun are just flourishing, and they're doing really well. They're thriving. Yeah. Um, but D- Dave has, um, he oh. he clawed his way out of the closet. Our Davey boy, the boy. He has, boys, um, no, actually quite earnestly, he has grown wings and flown, flown away. He, he has moved to away. L.A. Yeah. And um, to pursue his dream of working in the film world. And he is oh. killing it. Oh, yeah. Um, he is working as a production assistant right now. He's gotten four gigs in like the last month alone. Seriously, he is making it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's hoping to work his way up the ladder to yeah. eventually get into the writer's room. Get in that writer's Ooh. room, Davey boy. But get up on that. He is. Davey boy. Exactly. And he is already on his way to doing that. And, you know. Guys, we are so proud of him. We are so mm-hmm. proud of him. Keep on working on it. Yeah, and so he'll we're be back eventually. Probably, yeah. We're probably not going to have him on the show for a bit because he's been working his his little butt off so much lately, and we want to support that. But I will say um, he did bring his mic down with him, so he could Skype in just like Sean does. He can absolutely Skype in, and I would not, you know, I'd be more than, oh my God, that'd be so exciting. Yeah. Oh, the nerd reunion to end all reunions. Totally. Totally. <laughs> what else? Do we have any... Um, uh, I think we have one from the new movie game from Tracy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. New movie. Yeah, yeah. This subject is called The New Movie Game. Uh, dear nerds, I have been listening to you since the Mongoose Equation nice. and released... Oh, sorry, since it was released. And I eventually moved on to adding nerds on film to my list as well. Yeah, girl. Love your work. It's amazing. You asked for some movie name mashups and I have a few for you. Yes. <laughs> Silence of the Bridesmaids. Yeah! Are you a size 14? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Sorry, do you know your oh thing? God, yeah. It puts the lotion in the basket. We need it for the bridal shower. 
Damn, um, son. Um, return of the exorcist. Okay, <laughs> that's why it says exorcist. Oh, like uh, exerciser? Oh, return, the exorcist. Return of the exorcist. Three <laughs> men in the, and an exorcist. <laughs> oh, and actually, this one is a, little, is a great one. Doctor Strange or How I Learned to Love Avatar. Oh my god, that makes me oh think of the most god. recent SNL or the, the SNL episode where Ryan Gosling... <laughs> papyrus! <is> papyrus! <laughs> the font is papyrus! <laughs> so Those are probably funny. mostly terrible and I cannot seem to figure out how to spell exorcist. Touche. Zing! Brilliant. Anyway... Uh, on an unrelated note, I just want you to know that uh, listening to your show always cheers me up. I oft, I usually listen to it at work, and so, of course, people stare at me as I laugh for no reason that they can see. Uh, it was a nice pick-me-up after I went through a major surgery. Dude, what is with our listeners these days and getting into some serious shit? Y'all no take kidding. care of yourselves. I love that you can be serious, but you don't take yourselves serious or yourselves or the material too seriously. I also love how inclusive both podcasts have been. Thank you for being awesome. Tracy, oh, guys, sweet. we have, we've, I mean, for people who are kind of shocked, like Roxy and Gina, we, we do get people who have said, like, this podcast got me through a tough time. We, it happened more honestly on Nerds on History than it did on Nerds on Film, mm -hmm. but it's, yeah. and, but when it happens, it's the best. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's it absolutely beautiful. touches us in every way we could hope for, you know, I, I work in the mental health field. So like, I'm all about finding ways to help empower others through their own self agency. And if there are, you know, support systems like our show that can help others, I mean, that's just kind of like a dream come true. So mm -hmm. I think this is like an amazing platform that I had never expected to to reach people the way that it has. Yeah. Um, and to make some lifelong friends that have that are amazing listeners because of it. So I'm like, yeah, just in awe sometimes about how generous our listeners are. Absolutely. And what I find so cool about just the medium of podcasting in general is now that it's an old enough medium. There's like social psychological research being done into what impact podcasting has on listeners, like as like a therapeutic method. You oh know? my god! Mm. Yeah, yeah. Not just like listening to a therapy podcast or a psychological, right, but right. just listening in general, because it's. I mean, they say it's like a radio show, but in the same way, it's not no. because it's much more personal and much more like intimate. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, I personally, I, my morning routine is listening to the Alice Radio Show, um, which is uh, Sarah and Vinny, right? Um, a local San Francisco Bay Area radio show, and listening to them, I feel like I'm connecting to familiarity, to to a routine, to something that I can trust, and people that I can trust, right? And it's something in them that just helps me feel safe and helps me feel like I can take a brain break and start my day off on the right note. And if our show is providing some sort of sense of, you know, familiarity, I, we get a lot of feedback from people who are like, I feel like I'm, you know, talking to friends and, and that you guys are like in my living room and, and it's, it's awesome to, <laughs> to, cause I share the same opinions that you guys do. Yeah. Um, then that, you know, it, that just, that creates connectivity in such a deep sense that, I think is is one of the best ways to combat mental illness. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's just, oh, that's such a sort of treasure trove of yeah, wonderful. Yeah, totally. And not to bring this down, guys, but if you're listening and you're feeling down, just know 
that okay I'm, i was gonna do it if sean was here he would oh my god he would hurt you so badly yeah. no, no, but um no but quite oh quite earnestly god. guys you know if you're out there and you're going through a tough time you know reach out to us you know yeah. i i think these people who have admitted that they have gone through both physical medical and emotional you know strife mm-hmm. and that our podcast helped these are very, very brave listeners who are willing yeah. to like open up about that. Yeah, that's incredible. Totally. We've had some seriously in-depth feedback from listeners before yeah. that's kind of set all of us sort of back and kind of uh, help. You know, it, it, it's been intense, I'd say, sometimes, but in, in the best possible way. Yeah, you know totally. what I mean? Because we've been able to kind of band together and, and treat you know some of these folks. I mean, if anyone... Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is we treat our, our listeners like they are our friends and, and, and some family even. Yeah. Um, and at least that's how I feel sometimes about our listeners, that they just care so much because I care so much about them too. Totally. No, absolutely. Um, I do. I feel the same way. And yeah. So thank you guys. Yeah. it's It can be emotionally overwhelming at times, yeah. but exactly. But, in, but yeah, not in a negative way. Um, not at all. So, you know. Just know, guys, that if you're going through a time, we do, we are here to support you, yeah. and we are here for you guys. So, hey, Brian, how can our listeners continue to reach out to us? Well, so I'm going to spare the fundraising speech because that seems kind of oddly self-serving and not against kind of against Brian? what we just talked about. We just want you to talk to us. <laughs> really, just talk to us. So hit that talk to us link yeah. on Deuteronomy.com, and we will get an email. To our inboxes, just like the people who read them, uh, who yeah. whose emails we read tonight. Um, the other thing you can do is please engage with us on social media. We have our Facebook page, our Twitter account, and our Instagram page. Um, just look up Nerdonomy on the internet. You'll find us. I promise you yeah. that. Um, We're going to be updating those bios ASAP. Yes, it's a long. It's a long-term short-term project uh, to get the, ups, the, <laughs> the website, website up yeah. to snuff um so we'll get there yeah we'll get there it's you know this is a hobby for us so it, sometimes things don't get done as quickly as we would like them to get done um that being said guys do you have anything else you guys want to add yo if you want to like send us snail mail though letters are dope we, we have do a, have a p.o box we have it's a p.o box we like a visit box. our website there's all kinds of ways for you to contact mm. us. Voicemail. We still have that voicemail number. Benjamin, I'm still waiting for my next spoken word love poem. Excuse me, sir. Ooh. Where is it? Exactly. <laughs> um, yes. So all the ways. And, but most, most importantly, what you can do is if you want to help other people like yourself, spread the word of nerd. Seriously. Tell your friends and family. Mm-hmm. Hopefully not your older family members who might find this a bit too bird. Or your undead family members. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> Bring no. it back. I just got this image of like Dia de los Muertos, like, you know, no, Abuela, I've been listening to this podcast and they just put the ear pods on no. the skeleton on, on, on skeletons on a sugar skull or they put the ear pods on the tombstone. That's Aww. cute. Um, it's like that new oh Pixar God. movie coming out. What's that new Pixar movie coming um, out? Was it Carlos or something? Uh, Coco. 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 Yeah, Coco. That's right. It's great. I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about it, but I really liked Book of the Dead, and Mm. I feel like Book of the Dead did not get the viewers it needed because it was a smaller company and was not backed by Disney. That's too bad. Well, that's a talk for another day. Watch watch Book of the Dead, though. We might have to do a compare Mm. contrast once Coco comes out. Mm, To be continued. Until that time, guys. By the way, uh, since this will be 
our last episode released for October, we want to wish you guys a happy and safe Halloween. Let's get fucked up! Happy Halloween! <laughs> On some candy! It's so weird now that kids of our, people of our generation, like, love Halloween, I think. I know, right? To, to a degree that has not been seen in a long time. Um, it's okay if teenagers trick-or-treat. You don't need, you're, you're not too old for trick-or-treating. Hell no! Get some of your friends. Gina and I trick-or-treated for days when oh, we were Oh, here's what I'm yeah. saying. I'm saying adult trick-or-treating, you go to that little, like... Travel bin area of uh, Bevmo. Oh then, shit! I was gonna yeah. say trick or boozing. <laughs> that yeah. would be dope. But I also do Boozer love treating. me some free candy. Those yeah. uh, so. those caramel apple pops. Give me love those. All of no, them. There you go. <laughs> so guys, however you choose to celebrate, just celebrate safely. Mm. And uh, until we meet again, stay nerdy. Tune into our next exciting episode. Hopefully, it'll be the karaoke one. Um, same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. See ya. Bye. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. She hate me. Ooh. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like the awkward. <laughs> Sounds like a threesome gone wrong. <laughs> no, that was good. That was good. I like it.